Uh, I want to touch on a few things uh, from, from a couple of those messages, but first I want to I share a little bit of, about my history that some of you might not know. I mean, I talk a lot about my history and you know some real deep things about me, but one of the things you might not know is that I've been a worship leader for about 20 years. Yeah, you didn't know that because I don't do that here. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to lead the worship, then give the message. It's kind of like the Drew show. You don't want, you don't want that on a Sunday morning. Um, but I've been a worship leader for the last 20 years, and one of, like, I, I love worship. Worship has been a refuge for me. And, and uh, one of my favorite places to be not only in worship, in corporate worship, but to lead worship was uh, the organization I, I was a part of for a number of years called Portland Fellowship. And Portland Fellowship was the ministry that I experienced an incredible amount of healing and restoration to my soul. It's a ministry that helped men and women walk out of homosexuality and, and sexual brokenness and sexual identity issues. And let me tell you that when you walk into that place and you begin to worship, it is unlike almost anywhere else on this earth because so many times one of the hurdles we have to, to get over in worship is that fear of being unmasked. You know, and it's, and it's a real thing, like when you walk into a corporate setting where, where people have their masks on or their defenses up, something stifles worship. It's just not the same thing. But when you walk into a place where everybody is laid bare and their, their sins and their brokenness are, are on display and, and the pain of their lives are on display and they are worshiping God, it is something else. It takes on a different atmosphere completely in that place. And so it was always one of my most favorite places to, to be a part of corporate worship. Because as Ryan said um, two weeks ago, I'm going to quote Ryan. He says, people can have freedom to dance or laugh or raise hands, sing, cry, or sit quietly with their arms crossed and an angry look on their face. <laughs> because that is what they are processing with their dad at that moment. And we want people to be able to do that. We have that permission here. But I'll tell you, I, I lived that out at Portland Fellowship. I sat and worshiped or I sat and listened to people worship as the pain of my life came into direct conflict with the things that we were singing. And I remember sitting in anger and frustration and not being able to sing, but forcing myself to listen to the words that were being sung by others. And I remember that that was so significant to me because when I walked into that ministry, I came from a place where you smile. You know, you don't raise your hands or dance because that's the devil, but you don't you don't have a nasty look on your face during worship because we're worshiping the Lord. And so everyone has to be happy and pristine and, you know, like they never sinned in 18 years or something like that. And I remember this intense freedom that came from just being able to say, I'm mad. I'm mad or I'm, I'm disappointed with God or I'm, I'm frustrated or I don't know that I believe this right now or, or like one of one worship experience I had where they began singing about God as Father, and I was so angry at that statement because I didn't feel fathered by God that I was like, how dare you call yourself that? And I had permission. I had permission to be there in worship. And I remember, like, my time as a participant there taught me so much about worship, about, about that honesty and that vulnerability in worship. And then as a leader, I remember seeing a man that was sitting in, the, uh, in the, the congregation, so to speak, of Portland Fellowship, and he was just angry, and he would get up and he would walk outside. And one day, finally, after several weeks, I went up to him and I said, why do you keep going outside? He goes, I'm not allowed to be in here for this. 
And I said, why? He goes, I'm so angry at God. And I said, okay. And he goes, you know, and part of his life and his history was that, you know, he struggled with homosexuality and he was married and he had a beautiful wife and beautiful children. But in his brokenness and in the fear of, of people discovering, he led this double life. And part of what the consequences of his double life was, was that he contracted HIV and he was dying. And he was so angry in that space because not only was that the reality, but the things that led him into sexual brokenness to begin with was a history of sexual abuse and abandonment and pain. And to be sitting in there in this cheerful worship time, he couldn't bring himself to do it. And so he believed he had to leave the building because he couldn't be there and be angry. And I remember looking at him in full confidence to be able to say, you come to God exactly where you are. If you're angry, you fold your arms and you scowl and you be angry. And you can do that here. Just be with us as we worship God. And I watched that man over the course of months with the permission to walk into the presence of God, hurt and angry. I watched that stuff melt off of him. And I remember the day that he stood and wept and raised his hands in worship. And it broke me. It broke me as I was leading. I couldn't continue because it was just, it was so powerful. The thing about that place is also you don't really have to lead. You just start leading the song and then they take over. So if you ever want to do something new, you can't because the people are just going to sing it their way. And it's like, <laughs> so, the, so the fact that I was crying didn't matter because everyone else was just singing. And it was like, okay, I can have a breakdown here for a minute because this man is now worshiping and he's free because they're going to lead it anyway. You know, you try to do something fancy and they just, you can't. So I just want to, I want to say that again for those maybe who didn't hear it the first time. We have permission here to be wherever we are and to walk into the presence of God, whether we're angry, whether we're excited, whether we're happy, whether we're sad, whether we're doubting, whether we're fully assured, you are welcome to be here in worship like that. We have that permission because Jesus welcomes us as we are into his presence we don't have to put on some other thing in order to be welcomed into his presence here. And, and when I said that one of my favorite places to, to be a part of worship was Portland Fellowship, I will say that, that um, I do have the privilege of going and traveling the country. I, I worship in probably 25 different worship environments per year at minimum. And I will say that the only other place that is like Portland Fellowship is here. And, you know, Susan and I, when we first started coming and visiting Living Waters 10, 12, 11, almost 12 years ago, 11 years ago, we noticed that right away. There's a culture here of worship that is similar, where we are, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be grieving. It's okay to be right where you're at because that's welcome here. And I will say this with authority, and you can trust me on this because I get to go to multiple places per year. I worship in multiple, like 25 plus different places every year, and there is no place quite like this. And so we're very fortunate, I don't know if you know that, but we're very fortunate to be here. Not that they're not worshiping, it's just there's something invited here that's unique. And I am very privileged to be a part of that. Um, I wanna say something else, I wanna bring up a few things that Ryan said, because this is really pertinent to what we're talking about today. Worship is spiritual warfare. 
You know, when we choose to worship God in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our feelings, in spite of the things that seem true, when we choose to worship God and declare what is true about God, whether or not we feel it, that is an active choice to say no to what the enemy is saying and say yes to who God is, regardless of our feelings. That does not require us to look happy. That just requires us to believe or to state or to walk into something that might be really difficult with how we're feeling in the moment. It is spiritual warfare. Um, I want to say this as well. One of the things that we're going to talk about today, uh, because we're saying when we worship, we something or other. My thing, I, if you know me but at all, you know that one of my great passions in life is healing. But not necessarily physical healing. If you want your leg prayed for, probably I'm not the person to do it. <laughs> I just, I believe in it. I've seen it happen, praise the Lord, but that's not my heartbeat. My heartbeat is your soul. My heartbeat is your heart, the state of your heart, the state of your emotional well-being, the state of your soul. And so, you know, if, you're, if you have a, a hurt leg, there's other people to go pray for you. But if you have a hurt heart, like, I'm the one who wants to pray with you. Because one of the realities that, that we're going to talk about today, physical healing is wonderful and God does it. We've seen it here. We are walking in the midst of miraculous around here. Praise God. Physical healing is wonderful, but the supreme calling and passion of my life and the thing that I think we need to start with is the healing of our hearts and souls. And the fact of the matter is, is when we worship, our hearts and souls get healed. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. You see, there's this, there's this wonderful connection, this incredible connection between our heart and our bodies, between our heart and our mind and, and what we profess and what we're going through and what we're struggling with and, and the, the very act of declaring the truths of God. There's something that happens when we stand in direct opposition to the, what feels true and we declare what is true about the heart and character of God. Now, Proverbs 17, 22 says this. I'm going to read, I'm going to talk from the Amplified Bible today because I really like the Amplified Bible. Um, and it says this, a happy heart is good medicine, and a joyful mind causes healing, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now, the word happy, which if you're reading one of the more modern translations of like ESV or NIV, it might call, translate it merry, but that word samech, meaning is from the Hebrew, it means glad, joyful, merry, rejoicing, cheer up. That's what that means. And so we could really easily say that the heart that is worshiping and rejoicing because truly, when we're worshiping and rejoicing, we are declaring the good and the right and the true and the, the praiseworthy about our God, right? I mean, we don't talk about, like, negative things when we worship, do we? No, we're, we're focused on the true and the right and the life-giving about God, the things that, that compel our hearts and stir our hearts into a place of, of rejoicing and, and, and greatness and goodness. We, when we, even when we think, sing things about his justice, there's a reason why that lifts our hearts is because when we sing about the justice of God, that speaks to the places where we've experienced injustice. And that lifts us up. We can rejoice in the fact that although there have been unfair things in our lives, we serve a God who is just. He is the good judge. And the good judge brings justice to our lives, not fairness, but justice. Those things that restore us and make us whole, that's what justice is. And so even though it might seem like a harsh attribute of God's character, it brings joy to our hearts because it is addressing something that has been in deficit or broken. 
And so the rejoicing heart, the happy heart, the encouraged heart, that is good medicine to us. And this word medicine in the Hebrew, it really says cure. It has the same connotation as to, to remove a bandage from a wound, to uncover something that was once broken but is now made whole. It's restored. So the rejoicing, worshiping, glad heart is a cure to our soul. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. You know, it's something really, we could take this and we could, we could look at it this way. Our responsibility, and maybe responsibility is a hard word, but our invitation from the Lord is to declare his goodness, is to declare the, the goodness and the, the beauty and the, the, the wonder of the Lord over ourselves and over our brothers and sisters. And one of the reasons why is because what proceeds from our mouth has a profound impact on who we are and the state of our hearts, the state of our, our, of our beings. Matthew, uh, in Matthew 15, 10 and 11, Jesus said, and he was addressing the Pharisees and addressing their attitudes, he said, uh, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Now, he was addressing you know, this issue of uncleanliness to the Pharisees. But one of the concepts that we can look at here is it's not the things that we like partake in or eat or something like that, that necessarily has a damaging effect. It's what comes out of us, what we profess, what we say, if it's negative, if it's broken, if it's unpraiseworthy, if it's repeating the lies of the enemy, that's what makes us unclean and defiles us. And in the same right, if that's what defiles us, then the thing that purifies us is when we proclaim the good, the right, the praiseworthy, the powerful. Because if the thing that's wrong declared can make us sick, then the thing that's true and right and praiseworthy declared can make us whole. The word of God says the power of life and death is in the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Not just the words we say about one another or about ourselves, but the very things we choose to sing, to meditate on, to pray. To, you know, worship is more than just singing. Worship is our life. Worship is what we meditate on. Worship is what we give our lives over to. Worship is what we devote ourselves to. Worship is what we fill our hearts with. And when we fill our hearts with the good, the right, the pure, the praiseworthy, that is an antidote to our souls. Because just like what we proclaim that is nasty defiles us, when we proclaim that is what is true and good and right, it heals our hearts and souls. Amen? Now, this isn't just true because I say it's true. Although it would be really nice if you could just believe everything I say. <laughs> um, one of my favorite current authors is a woman by the name of Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Yes. Yes, I heard that. that. Now, I also really like, for those of you who don't like to read, you can watch her on YouTube, and there's an extra bonus to watching her on YouTube. She's from South Africa, and she has the best accent ever, and I just love listening to her talk. I'm like, mm, yes. Apparently, the face-to-face -face speaker was also from South Africa, and I was jealous of Sue's, because I was like, I want to hear her speak, you know, but, so I was listening to Dr. Carolyn Leaf yesterday, because I wanted my South African accent uh, at me. And she's written this incredible, incredible book called Switch on Your Brain. And she talks about the, the, one of the many things she talks about is that link between our thoughts and our physical body. And in fact, there's two new fields of study called, and I'm going to try to say these right, psychoneuroendocrinology and psychoneuroimmunology. You don't have to remember that. I'm just trying to sound smart here. Um, the reason why these are such 
eminent and such emerging fields of study is because the way we think affects our body physically. And one of the startling statistics that she wrote about is that 75 to 95 percent of illnesses currently in our society are directly related to the state of our emotions. Which means that there are so many diseases that are plaguing our, our, our world today, heart disease and cancer and so many chronic diseases that are not genetically linked to us. Only about 2 to 10%, give or take, of those diseases in their occurrence are actually linked to a biological genetic cause. Most of the rest of it can be linked back to our life and our life choices and the stress we're under and how we agree with and partner with those things. I mean, it's profoundly convicting. In fact, I, I got to be honest with you guys, I was really convicted preparing for this this week because, you know, for me, I, I have some maladies. I have some physical maladies, and don't look at my weight right now. Stop it. I judge you for judging me. Um, but one of the things that I've struggled with I, in my life is I have, like, a really bad, like, stomach. Really bad stomach. Um, and I come by it honestly. When I was a kid, I went through a lot of trauma and a lot of pain. And one of the responses that I had uh, to my trauma and pain was, um, like, when one, for one instance, when my dad and my mom divorced... Uh, I got the stomach flu one day when they were separated, and my dad came over to take care of me. And so I made the correlation in my head, if I throw up, my dad will come home. So I just kept throwing up for a long time, for weeks. It lost a lot of weight. I lost some of my hair. I was, I was really malnourished and, and not okay. And my dad eventually realized what I was doing, and he stopped coming over. He stopped taking care of me, and I had to make the decision internally, like, okay, well, throwing up doesn't make my dad come home. And so I had to stop. But ever since that, like, my stomach has been jacked up. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but a lot of my anxiety and a lot of my fears find their, their, their place of living right about here. And even in the Hebrew Scripture, they talk about the stomach or the bowels being the seat of the emotions. Like, the heart actually was the bowels for the Hebrew people. And so for me, when I struggle with anxiety or fear or stress, it's all in my gut. And for a couple of years, I was struggling with this place where I was having this nauseous response, where I would just get nauseous and nauseated all the time. I would never throw up because I had like, learned how to control that. But I would dry heave and gag somewhere up to 60 times a day. Yeah, kind of convicting that this is... But it was also this like fruit of sowing into myself anxious thoughts, sowing into myself fear, sowing into myself disbelief. And let me say this, I'm not critical of anybody who struggles with anxiety or fear because we struggle with these things for a good reason. I struggled with anxiety and fear because my life was wrecked and I experienced trauma and abuse and neglect and abandonment and and all sorts of nasty, nasty things. I didn't just wake up one day saying, you know what would be fun? Gagging 60 times a day. That'd be great. I experienced real pain. I experienced insecurity. I experienced fear. I remember going to a doctor not only about six or seven years back, and maybe not even more than maybe not even that, but I was struggling with some anxiety and some fear, and I you know, was talking to this Christian doctor, and he was a great guy, and he was like, you know, I was telling him, you know, I have these fears, I have this anxiety. He's like, well, how many of these things actually come true? And I looked at him and I said, shut your face. 
was like, your family's fine. You're not going to experience trauma. I said, I was driving on, in my car on Christmas Day last year when the back wheel of my Jeep came off at 80 miles per hour in the snow. My family was in the car with me. Don't tell me weird things don't happen. <laughs> like, I was sitting at home one day minding my own business when my lungs spontaneously punctured and collapsed. It happened. Seuss thought I just had gas. She was like, get over yourself. I'm like, oh, I can't breathe. You know, and she's like, you have gas. She's, she's a wonderful woman. Don't judge her either. But I'm sitting there saying, things happened to me. My daughter, my precious 11-year-old daughter, had a, a series of just common childhood illnesses. She got a cold, and then she got an earache, and then she got an eye infection. And then she got the flu, all in like a two-week period. Now, as parents, if you're a parent to small children, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it was. But then she got something else. Her immune system got so jacked up, it began attacking her own body, and she got encephalitis. And she had a lesion formed between the two hemispheres of her brain, and she lost the ability to speak and to walk and everything. She was locked into her own body. We spent almost a month in the hospital with her. So I'm sitting with this doctor who says, well, bad things don't happen. I said, shut your face. They happen. If you're struggling with anxiety or fear or depression or doubts, there's a reason. I am not going to stand here and tell you there's not a reason or judge you for that. You have a reason. I have a reason. But worship is spiritual warfare. And it's not what comes at us. It's what we agree with and speak out that defiles our souls. And I have to admit to you, in, you know, as I was preparing this, I was recognizing some of my anxiety, stuff that's coming back up. And as I was preparing this message, I realized I'm not worshiping like I used to. I'm not declaring the true things about God like I used to. I need to. Because my heart is getting sick in a place again that it, that it, that it doesn't have to. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, if we could put it up. I want to read this. Let's just read this, and then we're going to talk about this for a moment as we get closer to concluding. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor and service at the appropriate time. Let's stop there for a second. Worship is humbling ourselves before God. It is to say that we are not the ones who get to determine the reality even if our circumstances are what they are, and they are what they are, we don't look at them through the limited lens of our own experience and our own wisdom. Humbling ourselves behind, before the mighty hand of God says, I don't know the reality here, but I know you do. I have my experiences, and they feel absolutely empirically true, but you are bigger than this. And so I humble myself under your hand to say, you are God and I am not. So we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And then it says this, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him. Now that word casting, where that Greek word comes from, the other place that it's mentioned in the Bible, that, that, that root word, it's when the disciples are taking their cloaks and they're flinging them over a donkey for Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. They're, they're literally heaving these, these robes 
and these blankets over this donkey. And that image of, you know, when we say cast your cares, we, we get so frilly in Christianity. Like, we have these beautiful melodic songs. I will cast all my cares upon you. You know, it's like we have motions. But this is like, hurl, unload, throw. Like, this is a guttural word. This isn't a peaceful little, I'm going to place my cares on you. No, I'm going to chuck my cares. I'm going to unload my burdens. I'm going to heave them onto you, Lord. This is not, this is not clean. This is, this is big. This is an emotional thing. When we fling and we unload our burdens onto Jesus. Why? Because he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. With deepest affection. You know, in the scripture it says that God, he knows the stars by name. He names them all. It says he counts the grains of sand on the sea, but it says he collects our tears. God cares for you. Watchfully and purposely and affectionately Every tear, every anxiety, every reason for pain, every reason for fear, God knows it. And every tear he's collected, every tear, not just the ones that are righteous. Do you know that even if you have left a situation that was sinful and wrong, like if you were in a wrong relationship and you decided that you were going to leave it, even if it was something that was based in sin, there's still grief to the loss and you still cry. God collects those tears because your grief is real no matter how you got there. Because God loves you and he knows your heart, not just what you do. He knows the reasons why. He knows us so well. Why do we cast our cares? Why do we do this? Why do we unload our burdens? Why do we humbly submit ourselves to God in worship? Why do we do this? And, you know, so often we get these verses disconnected and we don't know that they're sitting right next to each other because be sober, well-balanced, and self-discipline. Be alert and cautious at all times. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour, but resist him and be firm in your faith against his attack, rooted and established, immovable, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. You do not suffer alone. You know, we take, we quote that verse, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he might devour, and we separate it from this reality that we are called to worship God, flinging and unloading the burdens of our heart onto him because he cares for us, because when we hold on to those anxieties and fears, that's when we're vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Because worship is spiritual warfare. How is that true? Because we unload our cares, we unload our worries, and Satan has no ground. Because the very places and points of entry he would want to deceive us and lead us astray are now firmly and completely flung on the heart of God who loves us and cares for us. And we are not vulnerable because we are not alone. Because worshiping God heals our hearts. It restores our souls. And that has an effect on our bodies. Oh, I'm so happy right now. 
After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who imparts his blessing and favor, who called you to his own eternal glory in Christ, will himself complete, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, making you what you ought to be. To him be dominion, power, authority, sovereignty forever and ever. Amen. I'll tell you the truth. I shared just a moment ago that there was a day when my, my, my oldest daughter, she got sick. And I will never forget leaving that hospital room at 3 in the morning when my wife and my oldest daughter were there in the ICU and not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing the future. My youngest daughter, or my youngest daughter at the time, she's our middle daughter now, had to be taken by my mom and, and watched. And I went home to this empty house, or I was headed home to this empty house where two, three days before was her fifth birthday, Lainey's fifth birthday, and we had joy in our family, and we had hope, and we had the future, and now it was, seemed all gone. And I remember driving on I-84 in Portland in the middle of the night and just, like, groans and, and wailing is all I could describe that moment driving, and just like, God, why? Why? What now? What's going to, what, what, just at a loss for words and broken and felt like every wrong thing in my life had just been confirmed. Every attack of the enemy had just been confirmed. Every time that, that God didn't seem to show up in my life and my history was just confirmed again because once again something that shouldn't happen just happened. And I'm sitting there in this moment and the temptation was to turn my heart against God and to blame him. And I'm sitting there in that moment so vulnerable and so sad and I'm just like, God, what? And all I heard the Holy Spirit say to me is, worship me. And driving at 3.30 in the morning to an empty house without my wife and without my kids, I began to sing, blessed be your name in the land of the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. And I know when Ryan preached on Job, that song's theologically wrong, the bridge is. The verses are just fine. But I remember something shifted in my heart. Something shifted in my heart on I-84 at 3.30 in the morning when I chose to worship God. When I chose to proclaim his goodness and his love and his sovereignty, his control, his plan, his, his heart for me as I flung all the fear and all the anxiety onto him and I just declared, you are blessed, Lord. No matter what I'm facing, I will choose to sing your praises because even in this, you can be good. This isn't good. But even through this, you can show yourself good and powerful. And boy, howdy diddy. And I, I, I can say this with authority. I don't know. I didn't know that God was going to fully restore Laney. I didn't know that. But I can say with authority that even if he hadn't, I know I would be okay. And I know God would have been good. And I know... And we just knew, we just knew, as Susan and I walked through that season, somehow we just knew that even if she never spoke again, or even if she never walked again, God would be good to her and to us. You know, all of us have been through pain, all of us have had reasons to doubt the heart of God. 
But can I say this? When we worship, when we proclaim his goodness and grace, worship team, why don't you make your way on up? When we proclaim his goodness and grace, he heals us. He heals our hearts. He heals our souls. He restores us from that broken place of fear, and he aligns our heart with the truth. Miraculous things happen when we worship God, when we choose to worship him, when we choose to embrace him, when we choose to proclaim his truth. Where's your worship team? They're coming, okay. You try to make these smooth transitions in church. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Ah, you know. Church, stand with me, will you? Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I don't know what's on their heart. I don't know the things in their heart that are, that are burdening them. I don't know what the, the story is, but I do know this. You are good. I do know this. When I declare your goodness, my heart is healed. I do know this. That when I fling the full weight of my anxieties and fears on you, you restore me. So Lord God, invite us to do that today as we worship. Invite us Welcome us into that place where we can cast, fling, hurl, and unload the full breadth and width of our fears to you today. Restore our hearts today, Lord God. Heal the broken places as we worship you. And we can cry, or we can laugh, or we can sing, or we can sit and grieve. And you will be here with us. Welcome us in, Lord. Restore us. In your name.